Hey, Paul. Hey, Fab. How's it going? Good. How's it going on your side? <laughs> good. I'm good. I'm good. This is a this is an interesting topic this week that uh, I helped baptize. Yes. Four plus one pillars of sales management. Yes. So this is this is a good one. Um, so this is your theory or your concept that you've invented. So why don't you tell us what what like just explain it before diving into the these four plus one pillars like explain like what's what's the background yes what's, what's all that about well thanks for thanks for attributing uh thanks for giving me all the credit but you know i build on things that have gone before me right um everybody so I think, does that <laughs> yes and it's and it's true so I'm, I'm not i don't think i'm reinventing the wheel here but there, there are some concepts so i've added in but you know i'm building on um prior concepts that were built. So the idea here that, that we wanted to do is, you know, obviously our podcast is mostly um, aimed at sales managers and you and I, we'd sort of talked about this, I think two and a half years ago, but we didn't do it as, um, as efficiently back then. And uh, so, so what I wanted to look at today is really everything that is important to remember at a high level in sales management and a little bit of what that means tactically uh, as a sales manager, when you're dealing with sales reps. Okay. So, and I'm talking and I'm happy you put sales management and not leadership because it really is sales management. So yes, you do have to have some leadership qualities, um, but the leadership qualities are encompassed in this four plus one, particularly the plus one. Um, oh, oh, that's, that's a teaser for the century. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the four are, are, and, and I don't think there's a level there's probably one thing that, that should come first and it's motivation. So the first pillar is motivation. And when I say motivation, I mean the motivation of your sales team. So what motivates them? And when I say what motivates them, I don't just mean to make money, but I mean, what drives them personally? Why are they working in this position? What are they trying to accomplish? You need to understand what it is that drives your salespeople. If you just assume that it's money, and so let's take some extremes. Let's say some people might be money and cash and commission. Other people might be recognition, but usually it's a blend of both. And what I mean by motivation is what are they trying to do with the money that they might be earning? What are they, are they trying to advance in their career? Are they trying to save for, our, for uh, retirement for their children? Um, are they trying to save for their own retirement? Are they trying to save uh, to buy a house? Are they trying to save to travel? Um, you know, do they do they love the fact that they work for your company because you have a green product and it's something that's really important to them? So that's what I mean by motivation. And there are some tools to really get you boosted and kickstarted in the motivation field. And the thing that I believe in the most is doing a dream board. So you do the dream board to understand what motivates those people. It starts a conversation so that if you're an introvert and they're an introvert, it's it's done in a workshop and it's a lot easier to do than just sitting down and having that conversation, which sometimes can be awkward with someone that's new to say, hey, what drives you? Um, yeah. So that's number one. Go. Number two, I would say, and the others, um, I think are all together. Uh, there's not one more important than the other, although some people will think immediately the one's more important. The other is coaching. coaching. Uh, and then you have training and then you have accountability. And coaching and training, separate. I separate them. Yeah. Because I really don't see them as being the same thing. Okay. Uh, training, I believe, is when you're actually showing someone 
sales skills. And I'm not talking about company training. I'm not talking about product training. I'm not talking about expertise in your product. That's, that's, that I assume is going to happen no matter what. You're always going to train people to sell your product. If you don't, you're stupid. <laughs> when I talk about training, I mean some sales concepts. So if you've got someone green or something that they haven't known, you know, for example, oper operationalizing your sales process. Well, some people maybe have never done that or have never experienced that. So you need to train them on how the, the, the CRM works and what the uses are. So, so that's a training. Um, and then you've also got sales training, so soft skills training. But then coaching is the only way that that person will take that training and absorb it and turn it into their own behavior. So what do I mean by that? By practicing what you learned in your training and doing role plays and simulations. So, 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 so now we've got three. So we've got motivation, coaching, and training. And then the fourth one is accountability. Everything that's related about keeping um, your reps accountable to what they need to attain. So mostly, let's be honest, mostly accountability is based on actions. So what are the actions that they need to do um, to get the results? But you've got actions and you've got your methodology. So your training and your coaching are going to take care of the methodology, all the interaction, how they do things, and your, your, your activity is where you're going to keep them accountable. How many calls are making, emails, um, how many LinkedIn posts, uh, whatever they need to do. That's all based in, in accountability. So if you put all these things together, you've got the ingredients um, to have a lot of success if you do it properly. Now, do you want me to talk about the plus one or you want to shoot in some, some comments already? Let's shoot in some comments. Let's keep the tension going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the marketing guy. Oh, boy. Um, no, this is true. I mean, obviously, motivation, I think, you know, I... I, I I believe I believe what you're saying. I what I see the biggest pitfall, and I don't know if we're talking about pitfalls, but because of the pillars of sales management, so where the pillar breaks down, what I see the most again, not not a scientific study here, but um, is that a lot of sales leaders. There's two things. A lot of sales leaders still think that they can motivate people to work, right? Uh, which which you can't, and as soon as you have kids, you kind of realize that. <laughs> um, That's funny, Fab. Wait till they're yeah. teenagers; it gets even worse. Oh, Don't tell me that. Um, and and I think the other one is they. I don't know. I don't know how how to put the other pitfall. The where the pillar breaks down is, and maybe it's not. Maybe it's not a motivation thing. Let, let's keep the motivation. Like the, the biggest fit, child trouble that I see is that they feel that they can motivate their teams. And so, and that I feel has, and I, I like that you put it first because I feel that has repercussions all over. Like, well, I don't want to train them because they're not motivated. I don't want to coach them because again, like I shouldn't have to do this because they're salespeople and they should get motivated. Like it's, yeah, I feel that that has a big impact um, is, is this belief that you can motivate people. Like, you know, we're not Tony Robbins. And even if I'm sure if you did like some studies on Tony Robbins, the motivation he does is short lived, right? You get out of your, you get out of your sales training, you're all pumped. You're like, yes, do this. And then the weekend rolls around and then Monday and you've forgotten everything. Right. And, well, um, that, and, and you're right. And, and, but, 
But even I, I actually quite admire Tony Robbins because if you, I've, I've listened to a few of his um, conversations and he's not per se motivating you. He's helping you find out what motivates yourself. Okay, fine. But you're right. I mean, if you don't have continuous, you know, energy and that's very true. And that's where the coaching and the, and, and the role plays and the simulation, that's where you absorb it to make it part of your own thing. Cause yeah, you, you've got, you know, you, it has, you have to draw, you have to, as an individual salesperson, you have to be, uh, you have to understand how your work helps you achieve your goals and your objectives. And that's what the motivation is. <laughs> yeah. And you have to understand the motivation changes, right? You have a young rep who's single, you know, they just want to show that they're making money. So they, they buy flashy cars and fancy clothes. And you well, know, I have a really bad impression of, of salespeople, but okay. No, of young people. <laughs> yeah, young people in general. Yeah, okay. Um, no, but I'm stereotypical, but, you know, and then, um, you know, then they get, you know, into serious relationships and then it changes, right? Then they want to go maybe on on nice couple retreats and they want to maybe buy a condo together, uh, this, and then they have kids and then like life changes. And obviously when you have kids, your motivations are very different than when you're 22 and out of school, right? And so- Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I like this mood board idea. I mean, there's probably others um, out there. I think some for some people, maybe some mood boards might be a bit more difficult, but um, I think- I think doing that work to understand their lives and how it's changing and the impact on their motivation, what's, what's motivating them, where, where are they tapping into? What does this job mean for them? And so on and so forth is like a continuous thing. I mean, obviously not daily, uh, but definitely regular enough, right? A few times a year, once a year, whatever, whatever works. But I think you need to be very aware. Well, that's that's where I'll um, I'll challenge you on that one. I think if you if you do sort of a mood board exercise, or you get to find out what the people's motivations are, um, and you get them, you get that rep to connect the motivation to their success. Then it's always on their mind. Yeah, um, you know, then they know that when they're you know cold calling on that rainy November morning where they just feel like being in bed. That it's helping them, uh, you know, earn cash to pay for their trip to Mexico. You know, yeah. it's it's so so. It sounds silly, yeah. and, the, and the only reason why I am not a huge fan of mood boards, to be honest with you, and maybe it's because I've never sat like with somebody like you to to like walk me through it, and I've tried to do it myself. Is that we're gonna have to change that? It's uh, there's too much of a focus on material things, right? Like I want the fancy car, I want the trip, I want the this and when, after years of trying it out, I finally found my version of the mood board, right? Like what taps into what works for me. Um, so maybe it's just my perception of what mood board. Well, no, that, that actually, I'm really happy you bring that up, Fab, because that's a very good point is that um, I, I particularly recently, I, I did a mood board with a company. I won't mention the name, but I did the, a mood board with the company and I saw some things that were really not materialistic. I'll be honest with you, half the mood boards I see always have some materialistics on because we live in a materialistic society. So house, RSPs, uh, retirement, uh, money for trips, uh, money to send our kids to private school, whatever it might be. And and so, yes, it is money related. But I saw one thing I saw and I I had a tear in my eye when I saw it. One person put up, I want to give back to my parents because they've done so much for me. I want to be there for them. I want to be able to support them in their retirement years. And. So it was more about time for them. 
it was more about having time to be with your parents. So, and I think that totally belongs on a mood board. And, you know, when you know that about one of your salespeople, well, that that's great. You know, that's, I literally had a tear in my eye. I thought it was wonderful, but, yeah. and, and I agree with you, your mood board should not just be about materialistic things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, only yeah, because like the first mood boards I would do, yeah, I would do the typical things like, you know, I put a car that I liked and I put like, uh, a house or a vacation spot. I mean, I don't know. It was a few years ago, so I forget. And to be honest, it did, it did nothing for me. And now, like you know, as as you see, as I get more into this and I'm more aware, like I understand it's more. I have more intrinsic motivation needs, and then I had to figure out how to transcribe those into visuals. Um, but that's that's the only thing that sometimes I have with mood boards is that it's yeah, kind of and, I, and I agree with you. I, yeah. I agree. I totally agree with you. For example, my mood board, I don't mind sharing. It's the one that, that I, I use often. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I had a motorcycle, very, very materialistic, just go buy the motorcycle. And then it had uh, fixing the backyard again. You know, there's some investment there, but it also had spending time with my family. So, mm -hmm. you know, that doesn't cost anything. That was just about spending time with my family. And I have, I have one picture on it because me, it's all photos of me helping. Well, not me, but someone helping someone else onto the mountain because a big part of what I do is I enjoy helping my clients <coughs> move forward. So, right. that, so, so yeah, I agree with you. That that's a good point. So yeah, then, yeah, yeah. No, that's it. And I think, but I think from there, let's say, let's say mood board exercise it is. Um, you know, I think you know, as a sales leader, you know, you have to help you have to understand how they feel their job is going to help them. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, you know, it's not just about like, Oh, you know, I want to buy like a Range Rover or something like that. You know, it's like, well, how is your job going to help you? You know, and like without getting into personal finance and all that, but you have to, under, yeah, you have to see that they see the connection yeah. between and what they want. To be and honest, when you're, when you're hiring salespeople and they're earning com commission, a lot of them are materialistic. That's why you're hiring them because you want yeah. them to go out and sell and you want them, they want to make commission. So, so yeah. sometimes in certain companies, that's what it's about. You know, you're hiring people that want to make money and that's okay. And that's the other thing I say to people, there's nothing wrong with being someone who's materialistic that wants to make money. As right. long as you remember that your job as a salesperson is to help. And this is where the coaching and the training comes in is that your job is to help your client achieve their objectives. Right. Your job is not about just making your commission. And I don't want to get into what happens in the training, but in the training, if you're truly consultative and, and you're a good salesperson, yes, you want to make money, but you want to make money because you're helping your clients achieve their objectives. Right. You're helping them. You're not just selling them something. You are helping them achieve an objective. Anyways, that's yeah. another, another. Well, actually, like, that's a good transition. Let's talk about the training part. Um, sure. You know, obviously I'll put my operational hat on. I think for me, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's important that training is operationalized, right? I think there is, there has to be a part. It can't just Absolutely. be like, Hey, you know, it's Friday afternoon on the summer day. Nobody seems to be doing much. Let's go do some training, uh, you know, while, while, while having beers or something like that, you know, like, I think there has to be <laughs> I like, some operation. I like that though. Training while having beers. I'm not sure. I know. I know. I was, as I was saying it, I was like, wait, that sounds pretty cool. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, I think there has to be, you know, whether if you're a smaller company, you might not need to invest in an LMS. If you're a larger company, like a, some sort of a learning management tool, yeah. making sure that people are on top of it. Obviously I'm a, I'm a HubSpot consultant so using kind of the tools like the playbooks tools that they have to make sure that um 
people are have access at their dispo have at their disposal. Sorry, uh, the information that they need. Um, I just noticed yesterday that HubSpot launched a new thing, which is like playlists, so you can like uh, give show them playlists of like really great calls, like a really great discovery call, and and like really? just make sure that they have access to the tools that they need at the moment. I love that. That's an amazing idea. So what you're saying is you could have a playlist of like the best calls to sort of listen to and and drive you and motivate. I I love that, Fab. That's okay. Yeah. Or, you know, another time, but that's, that's, that's yeah. But to me, that's, that's where the operation, (laughs) the ops for the ops, operationalization. I know I can't say operationalization. (laughs) The the ops component to it is, is to me, like training for sure is important. I think it's not to devalue what you do and and some of your colleagues do. Like, I think it's easy to find training. Like there's a lot of people that can offer it out there. Of course. I think what's important is that it's built into your tools. It's built into your process. It's built into even your your employee evaluations. It's built into um, into everything, right? We notice some some issues, and then uh, you know, training. It has to be it has to be very forward and not an afterthought. And if I if I can identify like a a, a pitfall or a crack in the pillar, is it's just not operationalized, right? Like it's forgotten. It's kind of the I don't know. If, I know here in Quebec, you know, companies have to put like what one or two percent of their revenue to training. So it's kind of like, ah, we'll just send Paul to like some, you know, sales training, some random thing here and there. Like it's that that to me just doesn't doesn't work, right? Because then Paul is just going to find a training in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's something you said that I love, and I I like I like the expression: "Is there a crack in your? Are there cracks in your pillars?" Yeah. Because effectively, you're you're totally right. Is that the one thing that I will say that I think most people do a lot of, but I'm not sure they do it well, is accountability. Mm. A lot of bil- a lot of people, there's built-in accountability, and we'll talk about that. But before we get there, you're right. I totally, I totally 100% agree with you that you need to operationalize your your training. You're jealous of how well I can say that. Eh? Your, yes. your training, <laughs> your, your training needs to be really done in a way that is specific to help your people move forward. And when I say training, I really mean soft skills because I know that most people are doing the basic training of, of product training. So that's very important, but to do it properly, you need to also operationalize the coaching that comes with the training. Mm. Because right. training, you and I both know, even if you watch a video and you're, 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 you're watching someone else, you're seeing someone else do something that you want to absorb. But to truly absorb it, you need to do it. And when I say coaching, is the person, your rep needs to practice. So mm-hmm. even that practicing, you know, when I talk about role plays and simulations, I think even those should be in your playbooks, in your playlists and, and working on those so that you know how to train someone, how to take the training and, and have it, have them absorb it and make it their own. And that's the one thing I would say, I think that this is the most lacking is that people don't do the coaching properly. They'll just say, Oh, you didn't say this, or you didn't say that, uh, which is, which is, I think important, or you said this, that was really good. You know, they might be positive, but really to do it properly, you need to, to in, in include that coaching aspect, which includes role plays and simulations. 
Yeah. Which brings me to the really important part of, uh, of the CRM, uh, which is accountability. Mm. But the thing, you know, I was saying before, I think a lot of people do accountability wrong. You tell me if you've seen this, because you, you've obviously worked with a lot of sales operations, is I think a lot of people say, okay, you know, I want you to do this, 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 that, and I, I want you to get there, and I want you to achieve these numbers. I'm going to keep hold you accountable to it, right? That's sort of the old way. Sort of like when you say we're trying to motivate you, you know, I, I'm going to throw some money at you to motivate them. So it's the same thing with accountability. You should be telling your team to build their own action plan to achieve their success. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who should, you, you give them the ingredients to say, here's a flour, here's a water here. You make the bread. So, you know, you've got cold calls, you've got emails, you've got meetings. You tell me what your action plan is going to be to have success. Obviously you've got a brand spanking new rep that doesn't know your product. You might be guiding them as well, you know, try this, try that. Yeah. But after a couple of months, they're going to present to you their action plan. And how you're going to hold them accountable is you're going to hold them accountable to what they told you they need to achieve. Yeah. Then, you know, I like that. I like that. I think that's, I've never seen that uh, happen. Right. Like I think, you know, the accountability is everybody wants to track people on, sales activities and, and all the stuff that they can control, which is fine. I think that's kind of the basic we talked about. Accountability is activities related um, often, but but that it comes from the rep and they're like, okay, you know, and obviously then as a, as a manager, as a leader, you can then, you know, if, if Johnny comes to you and says like, okay, I think if I could do one call a month, I'll be good. Then you're like, okay, well, I probably need to have that number a bit. But um yeah, I like the idea that it comes from them and you're setting objectives on them. I mean, I think some objectives are corporate and you know, like revenue objectives and, and stuff like that. Like you do but, have but, revenue targets. But exactly. If you say, hey, look, the team, you know, we're 10 reps and there's a corporate objective this year. We need to increase your sales by, you know, 10%. Okay. You know, John, Johnny, George, David, Elsa, Marie, you know, you guys know that we need to. So you guys tell me, what are you going to do? What do you want me to hold you accountable to so that we can achieve that big objective? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's got to be based on, you know, I showed you the slide before we started on actions and method. If mm -hmm. you're just basing it on results, your reps don't control the results. We said this a few times before they control their actions their method, but the other ingredient in sales is, 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 you know, outside external forces. So yeah. when you're keeping them accountable, you got to keep them accountable on things that they control. So yeah. if you say to them, if you're only keeping them accountable on dollars and cents and you're saying, I don't give a crap what you do in actions and method, well, then they're going to throw excuses at you because you don't even know what it is that they're doing for actions and method. Yeah. That makes sense? Really good. Yeah. That's really All right, Paul. Good. It's time. It's time. It's time, Fab. Drum roll. I wish I should go behind the drum set. That's the drum set behind you. But that's what you have to do a general. Um, the, 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 the plus one pillar is it's emotions. And you're, you're going to say, well, you know this, but people are going to say emotions? What are you talking about? So human beings, um, and this I took from, so I took from a, um, a, 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 a what's the word? an academic paper uh, that was written in 2000. I forget the name of the person now. I'll, I'll bring it back to you. So there was an academic paper written on people who have, and I'm taking a little far here for a second, but I'll come back to it. So people who've had damage to their prefrontal cortex, 
which is the area that controls both emotions and, um, and consequently decision-making. So what they've noticed is that when people don't have the capacity to feel emotions, they can't do, they can't have decision-making. They can't do any decision-making. So in essence, all human beings that do decisions from brushing your teeth in the morning to deciding what breakfast you're going to have to deciding what you're going to buy has an emotional, uh, has an emotional factor to it. So you might think as an engineer that you're selling a very rational product, but the buyer or the person making that buying decision, when they, they engage, there's an emotion attached to that. So why am I saying this in sales management? Well, your salespeople are the same. They're, they're human beings. They have a lot of emotions. You need to be listening, hearing, seeing, and looking out for emotions and be in active listening mode to be sure that you understand where your people are sitting emotionally. Now, what do I, I don't mean like if they're in full on crisis or, you know, blissfully happy, but are they understanding themselves what's holding them back? And the best way to do that is an active, uh, is an active listening. And as a sales manager, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, and you know this from your real life, if you, if you want your children to get involved with them, you need to listen to them, mm -hmm. you need to hear them. If you want your parents to get involved, you need to listen to them. You need to do active listening. You need to ask open-ended questions. If you want your clients to open up to you, you need to ask open-ended questions. Basically, anyone in the world that you want to open up to, they human beings being emotions like to express themselves. So if you ask the proper questions and you're very sincere and honest in listening to what's going on, you will have the success. So what unlocks all of these pillars with all of your people is being in tune, having a, a, a you know, trying to have a, a, a good emotional quotient to be able to listen and hear your people and give them respect. So whether you're, you're finding out their motivations, whether you're coaching them, whether you're keeping them accountable, whether you're training them, you know, those four main pillars, the one that, that encompasses the whole thing is you have to be capable of, 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 uh, not exerting, it's not the right word, but of, of doing and being in an active listening role and understand your, your, your people's emotions to be able to help them achieve what it is you're trying to achieve. Does that make sense? Did I express that properly? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know we talked about it. We talk about it regularly, like online and offline, but uh, so maybe I'm, I'm a bit more aware of it than, than others. Obviously, I think you're right. I think emotions is not what you think about when um, when <clears throat> you're thinking about sales management, they're probably thinking about quotas and forecasts more than anything else. But um, yeah, I mean, emotions are emotions so important. In state of mind, you know, they're, it's state yeah. of mind, but a state of mind is an emotional state, you know? So if you're in a comfort level, you're feeling an emotion. It's sort of like a, you know, a thin emotion. And if you're in blissful, you know, extreme happiness, well, that's a state of emotion. If you're super angry, that's a state. So it's your state of mind. Your state of mind is where you sit in the comfort level with your emotions. Yeah. And if I could maybe give two examples and let me know if they're relevant or, or if, I'm, <laughs> if I missed the track. But uh, so when I was listening to a podcast, irrelevant. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast uh, by Rick Rubin, who's a famous music producer, uh, and he was interviewing Owen Wilson, an actor. And I know Wilson was describing how, um, you know, for him to be able to perform, it has to be as low stress as possible. And then Rick Rubin was like, I'm the same, but I know a lot of people for who it's the opposite. They perform in high, high stress situations, right? If there's no stress, if there's no, uh, nobody to be accountable to, they just don't perform as well. And I think, 
I think that's a bit, bit what you're trying to understand is like, you have to understand your reps, right? Some reps, every person is different and some reps will, will respond a lot better if it's, well, now it's June 1st when we're recording this, but let's say it's May, May 30th and quotas due tomorrow and, and, and their deals are not moving um and and they get onto the call and, and that's when they make their their numbers at the, the last day of the month because they that's where they're they're motivated by that pressure for example but then you can have somebody else who's the reverse and they they can easily make their numbers like the second week of the month because they like when there's no pressure and i think you need to take the time to understand their state of mind what drives them what emotional state drives them and and listen for cues that they're not in their ideal state of mind well, first of all, I love Rick Rubin, and I totally agree with you that um, understanding, it's part of understanding what drives them and motivates them. And if you know that exactly someone works well under stress, well, they may want you to put pressure on them. Yeah. <laughs> and if someone doesn't react well under stress, well, then you may have it, you, you should have a different approach. But that's all part of the act of listening. That's yeah. all part of getting to know what it is that drives them. So absolutely, 100% agree with you. Here, like the second example I maybe had to help illustrate, and this is more of a live example. I was I was working at a company, so this is before I was on my own. Um, and I was uh, talking to the sales leader, the VP of sales about something. And then one of his reps who was traveling uh, called him back because he had called him earlier. Um, so he's like, excuse me, he leaves the room and then comes back like maybe five minutes later. He's like, oh man, this rep was in such a bad mood. Um, but then he tells me, you know what? I know I know he gets what we now call hangry. He gets hangry. I, so when, as soon as I heard him get upset about a like, minor question, I asked him, I'm like, you know, when, when did you have supper? When did you have lunch? And he was like, I didn't have time to have his lunch today. He's like, go eat. You know, I'm here and today. Go eat. Take some time for yourself. We'll call back afterwards and it'll be okay. You know, and so that's that's understanding your emotional state, right? Like if you don't understand the emotional state of your team and don't understand their ins and outs, and obviously it's harder when it's a new team member, right? Because you don't know them. Yeah, yeah, you get to know them. Yeah, yeah. But then it's like you get that's, to know that's them. Another, that's another great example, Fab. I, I think that's a wonderful example. And that's exactly, you. if you know the person, and you know how what makes them tick, it's going to help you a lot more. And the only way to do that is to talk to them and get to know them and understand and take the time to listen. Yeah. It's funny because yesterday I was talking to a leader who who um, who leads a, a, quite a large management team. And, you know, some of her people just like to vent. And sometimes you just as a good leader, you're just listening. You're letting your people vent. They don't they don't necessarily always want you to find a solution they're not always necessarily them looking for a solution they just sometimes need to vent a little bit and that's okay again that's part of understanding the emotions yeah how they work in active listening so it, it's it's a plus one but it's a very very important plus one of course and i call it emotions because it's all related to emotions yeah um, you know and i've said this before if human beings were not emotional beings or or and if we were fully rational, you and I wouldn't have a job because <laughs> our our skills would not be necessary in helping them move forward. Well, maybe you'd be a little bit more useful, but I'd be totally useless. <laughs> awesome, Paul. If uh, let, let me try to summarize this is to see if I if I understood all your your points. Um, so the four plus one pillars of sales management: motivation, understand what motivates your salespeople, and understand 
accept that you can't motivate people. You really have to understand what motivates them and, and, yep. and help them understand, or at least you have to understand how their job is helping them achieve what motivates them. Um, yep. Training, uh, not so much the product training, which is obviously important, but that's often not forgotten. Uh, it's more the, the sales skills, the hard skills, the soft skills, like hard skills, like how the CRM works, how your sales pipeline works, how you, all that stuff. Uh, and the soft skills, like asking open-ended questions and, and all those things. Um, coaching, which is really helping them execute. And coaching can happen in very informal moments, formal moments. Um, on that note, I would say I'm reading a book right now, which is called The Inner Game of Tennis, which was written in the 70s. Uh, and it's obviously by a tennis coach, but it's so applicable to everything. And I think every coach... Uh, and, and sales leader in our case should read this. I think there's a lot of good insights in terms of how we try to coach people versus how we should be coaching people. Um, accountability, it's making sure that the reps are accountable, but not accountable to the actions that you determine are important, but making sure that they're accountable to the actions they feel will help them achieve their objectives. Yeah. So if they tell you, and I remember I had a, an account manager at HubSpot that was like, you know, I told them, like, I think if I send two LinkedIn messages a day, I'll be able to get enough traction. And and every week when we'd have our meeting, he's like, you know, how many LinkedIn actions, uh, how many LinkedIn messages did you send today or this week? Sorry, or last week. Um, and that just helps, you know, I'm the one who came up with my objective. And, yeah. and he was just helping me stay on top of that. Um, yeah. And the big plus one is emotions, because even in the example you gave, right, like emotions is right next to decision making in the brain. And I think when you're not in the right emotional state, you can't make decisions. You can't you can't achieve you can't achieve your objectives. You can't ask open one questions. You can't update your CRM. You know, there's so many things you can't do when you're not in the right emotional state. And so, as a leader, you need to understand what drives what what the emotions that help that that not drive, but maybe I don't know. It's the only word I can come up with. But the emotions that really drive your salespeople and understanding when they're off, when they're on and so on and so forth. Yep. And a little anecdote that a lot of people probably already know, but for those of you that don't know it, um, I think it was in 1850 or something. Someone was working on a very, very agreeable, nice person was working on the railroad. They got a spike through their forehead and uh, they thought they were going to die. They didn't die. The person didn't die, but could no longer feel emotions, oh, man. but he also literally could no longer decide whether he wanted you know, she said, should we turn left or right? He knew, knew, could not make any decision. So it was sort of the original, maybe uh, the original case that made people think, hey, we should study this. Yeah. And then they studied with a lot more people with lesions and problems with the prefrontal cortex. So it's actually been studied. So it, it's very interesting. But human beings, we like to say, oh, I'm rational, I'm rational. But think about it just when you're sitting down. You're either, you know, if you're just comfortable, that's an emotional state. Yeah. Um, so very interesting. Anyways, close of tangent. Great wrap up. Great summary, Fab. Um, obviously, you've heard these before because you know you had a lot of great material. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Awesome. To this week's um, what's the name of our podcast? Ask, <laughs> ask great questions. The Sales and RevOps podcast. <laughs> All right, Paul. This is fun. Talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Talk to you soon. Ciao, everyone. Bye, bye.